Hello and welcome to another episode of the Giants of the Faith podcast. My name is Robert Daniels and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who've lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom and each has earned a spot in my personal Christian Hall of Fame. On today's show, we're featuring four men who might not individually merit an entire episode, but they are interesting nonetheless. I did the same thing back in episode 18, and it seemed to work out pretty well. I keep a catalog of people to feature on this show, that I call the big list, and sometimes when I go digging for the next podcast subject, some of these folks with not as much information, or that made a smaller impact, surface. So rather than ignoring or discarding them, I think it's worthwhile to bundle them together, so that's what we have here. First up is the man who is probably the second most famous Transylvanian, Johann Hunter. Johann was born in Kronstadt, Transylvania in 1498. As a young man, he studied at the University of Vienna until the Ottoman Sultan sent 100,000 men to siege the city. At that point, Hunter left Vienna for Krakow to attend university there, and eventually ended up in Basel, Switzerland. Hunter is known for two things. Of less significance to us is his work in cartography. In 1542, he printed a book of cosmography called the Rudimenta Cosmographica, which was the first European geography textbook, and contained maps of the entire known world, maps that Hunter himself had drawn. It was very successful, there were 39 printings, and it was used throughout Europe. Of more interest to us is his role in bringing the Reformation to Transylvania. He moved back to Kronstadt, Transylvania, after his time in Basel. Basel was a Reformation hotspot, and Hunter lived there right in the heyday of the Reformation, and he became a Protestant himself. When he returned to Transylvania, he brought the Reformation with him. He set up a school, a printing press, and a church. Everything a young reformer needed. He wrote and published several works, including the Reformation booklet for Kronstadt and several hymnals and Bibles. The school he founded, Scolo Coronensis, still exists today as the Johannes Huntress School, as does the church. It is for his role in bringing the Reformation to Transylvania that we honor him today. Next up is Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin. Gagarin was born March 9, 1934, in Klushino, Russia. His hometown was occupied by the Nazis during World War II, and Gagarin's family home was commandeered by German soldiers. The Gagarin family built and lived in a 10x10 mud hut for the duration of the war, and the young Gagarin took part in sabotaging Nazi tanks and other activities during the war. After the war, the family moved, and Yuri enrolled in a volunteer-run school where he learned to read and do mathematics and began to take an interest in flying. In 1955, he joined the Soviet Air Force and entered pilot school. After a few years of flying, he was selected for the Soviet space program in 1959, and on April 12, 1961, he rode the Soviet spacecraft Vostok 1 into space, becoming the first man to leave the atmosphere. After his successful mission, the Soviet cosmonaut was supposed to have said, I went up to space, but I didn't encounter God. It turns out this was pure Soviet propaganda. Those words were never spoken by Gagarin, and for good reason. In fact, what the communist government didn't know, or wouldn't admit, was that Gagarin was a committed Christian. 
He was raised in the faith and had been baptized and was very open about his faith to his friends. He regularly attended and visited churches and even openly advocated for the rebuilding of churches that had been destroyed during World War II. But most important to us is that this man of great achievement, the man that was there at the beginning of manned space travel, was a Christian in a place openly hostile to Christianity. He never said, I didn't encounter God. What he actually told those closest to him was, an astronaut cannot be suspended in space and not have God in his mind and his heart. Our third subject is James I, King of England. Now, there's plenty of biographical information available on James, but for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to narrow in on his most lasting achievement, sponsoring the authorized King James Bible. James Charles Stewart was born June 19, 1566, to Henry Stewart and Mary, Queen of Scots. He gained the throne of Scotland at just 13 months old, and then he added the thrones of England and Ireland six years later. There was quite a bit of religious turmoil during James's life, though this was a generation before those differences would ignite the English Civil War. On one side, there was the Anglican Church, the official state religion of England. On the other, there was the Catholics, the holders of the old religion. And then on the other side were the Puritans, who sought to purify the Anglican Church and rid it of its bishops and other forms of extra-biblical hierarchy. They were all striving for their place in society. One of the primary areas of dissent was regarding which translation of scripture should be used. The Anglicans relied on what was known as the Bishop's Bible for official church duties, but a group of Calvinists that had been exiled to Switzerland published the English-language Geneva Bible, which became quite popular. The Geneva Bible was problematic for the Anglicans because it challenged the supremacy of secular leaders and the bishops in both its translated work and its annotations. In response, in 1604, James commissioned a new translation of the ancient sources into what became the authorized King James Bible. James instructed his translators to confirm the structure of the Anglican Church and the clergy in their translation. They were to avoid Puritan influence and give preference to the Bishop's Bible as a source, as well as other approved English language versions, where the Bishop's Bible was found to be an error or unclear. Forty-seven men were given the task of completing the translation. Not surprisingly, all forty-seven were members of the Church of England, and all but one were clergymen. They were specifically looking for pleasing phraseology in their translations, and they would write back and forth, looking for consensus on the words used. Now, James did not pay these translators, who were based in Oxford, Cambridge, and Westminster, but he encouraged his supporters to donate to the cause or to provide the translators with positions that would pay their expenses while also allowing them to continue their work. The translation was completed and published in 1611. It has been updated many times, but remains the most popular English-language translation of the Bible. I rarely read the KJV myself, but I can appreciate its place in history and how it has cemented King James I in the public consciousness for the last 400 years. Finally, we come to another king, Harold I of Denmark, also known as Harold Bluetooth. He was known as Bluetooth because he had a dead tooth which turned a sort of gray-blue color, and the wireless technology that you're surely familiar with is named after him 
because of his ability to unify Denmark and Norway. Anyway, Harold was born sometime in 910 in Jelling, Denmark. He was the son of the King of Denmark and assumed the throne himself in 958. Harold worked to unite the Viking tribes under his rule by building fortifications, providing defense, and building infrastructure. Christianity was spreading in Denmark thanks to Otto the Great, the Holy Roman Emperor. He was providing funds for missionaries and the founding of several bishoprics in Denmark. Eventually, friction arose between Harold and Otto, and war broke out. Sources conflict over the resolution to the war. Some claim that Harold's forces held their own, while others state that Otto broke through the Danish defenses and forced Harold to surrender and accept baptism and the Christian faith. What we do know is that Harold was baptized, and he had a monument erected known as the Jellingstone that reads in part, Harold who won for himself all of Denmark and Norway and made the Danes Christian. He also had his father exhumed and reburied in a Christian church. The Vikings didn't all become Christians overnight, of course, but from that point forward, there was a steady increase in churches and baptisms and Christian burials as the old pagan ways were slowly let go. And then eventually, the Reformation came to Denmark in the 16th century. Harold may or may not have been a true believer, that's not for us to say, but he did help pave the way for the faith to spread in Scandinavia, and that's why I've chosen to include him in this podcast. And that's it for this slightly different, somewhat short episode of Giants of the Faith. I hope you've enjoyed this brief look into the life of these four men and their impact on Christian history. If you have any questions, comments, or corrections, please send them along to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless. Music